0: Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. So at this time, we are going to turn to Mark chapter 13, and this chapter has 37 verses, so... Lord, will and we'll get through all of it. That's the plan. So let's bow our hearts and get right to it. Father, we thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to worship you, to give you praise, and may you inhabit the praises of your people, Father. And we just thank you for your word, your unchanging word. My God, you're so faithful to us. You love us so much, and we don't even completely understand, but we Get a lot of what we know about your love from what Jesus did for us, because your word says that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what a great expression of your love, Father. And so we love you because you first loved us. And so we just lift up this time to you. We pray that you help us to understand your word. We pray for fresh insight. We pray for application of your word to our lives with the help of your spirit. I pray for the gift of teaching and the fresh filling of your spirit. So at this time, Father, I do pray that I would decrease and you increase and be glorified at this time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Mark chapter 13, the title of the message tonight is Watch. That's it. Just watch. Now, in our previous study, we talked about God watching everything that goes on, whether good or bad. And not only does he watch the good and the bad, not only does he watch what we do, he also watches what is done to us and even watches over us with a watchful protection. And according to the scriptures and what we talked about last week, God sees all. He sees everything. The omnipresent, omniscient God sees everything everything. In our lesson tonight, Jesus is going to give a command to watch. But what is the context of that? What is the context of that command to watch? And what does that mean for us today? And so that's the purpose of tonight's study. And so what we want to do since we have 37 verses or we're going to look at verses 1 through 37 we want to dive right in and we want to see what god has for us so in mark 13:1, it says then as he speaking of jesus went out of the temple that is the temple complex now remember this is still tuesday tuesday of passion week so this tuesday afternoon so as he went out of that complex one of his disciples said to him, teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, this temple that existed during the time of Jesus's earthly ministry was actually a restoration of the temple of Zerubbabel it was restored or reconstructed by King Herod and of course it was a beautiful building as acknowledged here by the disciples it was impressive it had huge foundation stones now Jesus in this prediction of the destruction of the temple he was actually talking about what happened in 70 A.D. Now, in 70 A.D., the Roman army that was led by General Titus was destroyed. The Roman army destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Every rock of that temple was removed because they wanted to get the gold that had melted in the fire and had seeped in between the cracks of the rocks of this great structure. And I'm just wondering tonight that maybe for some of us, there's something in this world that is so impressive to us and we have a hold on it and it's really gotten our attention. And maybe it's something that God doesn't want us to have a tight grip on. In fact, he doesn't want us to have a tight grip on things of this world. He doesn't want us to have a tight grip on things that are temporary. So like the stones of this temple, the things of this world will crumble. They're going to be thrown down. Not one shall be left on top of another. And so the question must be asked, what are we trusting in? What are we holding on to? What has our attention so much that our attention is not on the Lord? So just for a reminder, this temple, this impressive temple destroyed by this Roman army, led by General Titus, took years to remodel. And many of the religious Jews, of course, they place more importance on that temple than on God. And yes, we have to examine ourselves, examine our hearts for things that are like that for us. Things that should not uh, take priority, but they have a high priority in our lives. But it says here now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately. Now, remember, Andrew and Peter are brothers, and James and John are brothers. But privately, they asked him, they said, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? Matthew uh, 24 and 3 adds, And what will be the sign of your coming and... Of the end of the aged, and so they asked a few questions here. They asked, "When would the temple be destroyed?" Like Jesus talked about, with not one stone being left on top of another. When would that happen? And they also asked, if you take Matthew, Matthew's account in verse uh, three of chapter twenty-four. What are the signs of his coming and the end of the age? And so those are the questions. And Jesus' second coming, by the, way, by the way, will mark the end of the age. And it will start a new age as he comes to, to, to reign over the earth. Literally and visibly for a thousand years, which we call the millennial reign of Christ. And so his coming back. And again, we're not talking about the rapture. We're talking about the second coming when he comes back and he touches down and he comes back with the saints, with the believers who were raptured. That's what we're talking about. So that second coming will mark the end of the age. But maybe the disciples thought that the temple's destruction has something to do with, with the end of the age, maybe that's why they asked those series of questions. That's why they lumped everything together. Maybe that's why. But now Jesus's answer beginning in verse five will begin what we know as the Olivet Discourse. And it's called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus was answering their questions from the Mount of Olives, which is east or was east of the temple complex because the temple is not there anymore. That's why I had to use the word was. And so that's where they were and I remember we went to Israel. We went to Jerusalem and we sat on the Mount of Olives and we were able to look out west and see the temple complex. But of course, no temple there, not the Jewish temple. But we were able to have devotions there. And so The Mount of Olives, of course, is still there. And if you read prophecy, Jesus is going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split. Part of it, it says, will go north and the other part, south. And so that Mount of Olives is still there and it will be there when Jesus comes back. But that's where he was as he answered their questions. Hence, this is the Olivet Discourse that will begin in verse 5. And it says, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed. In other words, be careful that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. They'll say that I am the Christ and they will deceive many. Luke 21.8 says that Jesus adds, And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. Do not go after those false Christs. And back in Mark 13, verse 7, it says, But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled. Don't be alarmed. For such things must happen. But the end, that is the end of the age, is not yet. And Luke 21, 9 says, The end will not come immediately. That is just because you hear these wars and rumors of wars. For nation, back in Mark 13, verse 8, will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines. Matthew 24 adds, and pestilences, which are diseases, and there will be troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. And Luke 21, 11 adds to that. Even before that last statement, he says, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. So this Olivet Discourse, Jesus began to give them some information here about the signs of the times. Now, I do want to. Stick to just for a few seconds the beginning of sorrows. I want to stick to that phrase because the beginning of sorrows actually refer to the pain of childbirth. This is talking about birth pangs. And it's in reference to all of the calamities that will occur before the second coming of the Christ or of the Messiah Jesus. These are just Well, we read there in verses 5 through 8, these are just the beginning of birth pains. And so these signs and these world conditions, for example, these false Christs and wars and these rumors of wars. And notice this, the ethnic groups rising against other ethnic groups Where do I get that? Well, the Greek word behind the word nation where it says for nation will rise against nation is the Greek word ethnos. So ethnic groups will be rising against other ethnic groups and kingdoms against other kingdoms. And of course, we've been seeing earthquakes everywhere and all across the globe. And we're more aware of them now because of the Internet and television. Famines, pestilences, troubles, all of these just like birth pangs. They'll become more intense. They'll become more frequent, just like a woman who's about to give birth. Become more frequent as the second coming of Christ draws near. And as the end of the age draws near. So all of these things that Jesus mentioned there in verses 5 through 8 and Mark 13, these are just the beginning of sorrows or of birth pangs. So, so far, Jesus just told them just some general signs of the times. In Matthew 24 9, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Or to be persecuted and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And back in our main text there in Mark 13, and we're in verse 9, he says, But watch out or be on guard for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils or local Jewish courts. The Sanhedrins, in other words, and and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for my sake or on account of me for a testimony or for a witness to them. So, of course, if we've been reading the scriptures, we can see that what Jesus described there in, in, in Mark thirteen nine has actually happened to the apostles. It's happened to many of the early Christians. We can we can see that even in the book of Acts. But we also see that as they were brought before the religious leaders and even before rulers and kings, that God used it as an opportunity for his servants to share the gospel. Because kings and rulers, they they need the gospel as well, right? Jesus loves them too, right? They need salvation. They're born sinners. And he died for them as well. But we see here that even though they will be persecuted and arrested and brought before these people, have to stand before these Jewish courts. We see that God did not waste that opportunity for them to share the gospel. And that just points to a bigger fact for us, a bigger application for us who are living today. And that just reminds us that God does not waste opportunities whether it's times in our lives that are good or times in our lives that are challenging times in our lives that we completely don't understand. Maybe there's an opportunity there that God wants to take advantage of. Maybe there's somebody that he wants to reach through us. Maybe he allows us to go through a certain trial to be a blessing to someone else who may experience that same trial or maybe we're running late and can't find our keys for a reason. Maybe there's somebody that he wants us to bump into and be a witness to and be a blessing to. And So we see that he doesn't waste opportunities, even when we see that we're in a bad situation. And that's because God is sovereign. Our God has a plan. Mark 13 10, it says and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. So before Jesus comes back and before the end of the age takes place, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. He's going to give out everybody an opportunity to hear the gospel. And so even now, of course, the, the gospel is still being preached. And during the tribulation period, that seven year period that is still future. It's it going to be preached then during that tribulation because 144,000 Jews will be sealed and they're going to share the gospel. Then there's going to be those two witnesses at the first half of the tribulation period. They're going to be sharing the gospel and and maybe some other uh, Gentiles who become believers, they're going to be sharing the gospel. The scriptures even tell us in Revelation that during the tribulation period, an angel will even share the gospel. Revelation fourteen six, it says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Yeah, so the gospel that that same gospel that was preached in the in the first century still being preached today. And speaking of God using opportunities that seem to be bad and not wasting those opportunities. Many of us know that 2020 was a challenging year for many people. We know of the COVID virus, but of course, that even turned out to be a blessing for us because it kind of gave us a kick in the pants to go ahead and get the live stream started to where the gospel will be spread out to more people. And not just here, but other churches that are preaching the gospel. So, so God even used that situation last year to to get a lot of churches going with the live stream and to tighten that situation up. Our God is a wise God. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, as it tells us in Second Peter three nine. But in Mark thirteen eleven. It says, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak, but whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. But Jesus also says that he is involved in that process. Because in Luke 21, 15, Jesus says that I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. So not only will the Holy Spirit be involved, but Jesus, of course, will be involved in giving the disciples the word to share when they're delivered up. Maybe when they're arrested or future believers or maybe us, if we're arrested and we're have, we have an opportunity to stand before local government leaders or, or maybe state leaders, whatever the case may be. And so in this context, though, Jesus is talking about the apostles who get arrested and they're brought before councils. For example, those Jewish courts. And those rulers and kings for his sake. But there's also some application for the church who may be on trial, as I mentioned earlier. And maybe we won't be on trial for our lives. And some believers are in different countries are on trial for their lives. But maybe on trial for their livelihood, people being sued because they won't compromise. They're trying to have their livelihood taken away because they won't give in to the culture. They won't give in to the masses. But also this, and hopefully nobody is thinking this, this is not an excuse to wing it when it's time to teach the word of God. This is not God saying, oh, you don't have to study, just wing it. This is not talking about that. It is in that context of being delivered up and having our lives or livelihood threatened as we're standing before the authority for the sake of Jesus. But nevertheless, I I like what Jesus says when he says, it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit And I like what he says there, because whenever we speak by the Holy Spirit, it will be full of truth. It will be powerful and it'll be something that others won't be able to fight against. Because if it's coming from the Holy Spirit and we share it. Nobody will be able to defeat the word of God. Nobody will be able to fight against the word of God. And win because it's from him, it's from the Holy Spirit. Now, in Matthew 24, 10, it says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Yeah, these are some things, of course, you know, leading up to the end of the age. We'll Start to see these things more frequently. Mark 13, 12, now brother will betray brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, this is something that has happened in the past, of course, and and it's going to continue to ramp up as the day of Christ returns or as Christ returns and the end of the age draws near. So this is going to ramp up. We're going to see this more and more. And I don't believe we'll be here during the tribulation period, but I believe people during the tribulation will experience this. Family turning against family members. Now, the reason this happens is because some take a stand for Jesus and some people don't. Some people reject him. And Jesus warned about this. And I believe it's, this is a word that is applicable to Christians of all ages. And I believe that the church will be raptured before the tribulation period. But then there will be some tribulation saints. And so that I believe it's applicable to them as well. The tribulation saints. But Luke 12 verses 51 to 53, it says, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. All because some people in that family decide to stay, take a stand for Jesus. He knew that would happen. So, yes, one day when he comes back and he literally invisibly reigns on earth, there will be worldwide peace. But that time has not come yet. And so he knows that right now, because of our allegiance to him and many people's allegiance to him, that is to Jesus, there will be division even within the family. And you will be hated by all in Mark 13, 13. For my name's sake, but he who endures to the end, that is to the end of the age, shall be saved. So again, this is an application here for the apostles, for Christians in the past, present and future. And application here for the tribulation saints. And I'm speaking of being hated. Being hated by people. Because we are aligned with Jesus. That's a reality. That's something that God gave us a heads up about. So that shouldn't surprise us. In fact, 1 John 3.13 says, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus told us about this. And then here you have it in this letter here. 1 John 3.13. But now when we talk about enduring to the end, that second part of Mark 13.13. Now, specifically, Jesus seems to be talking about those who are alive at the end of the age. Because notice he uses the word end and they ask them about the end of the age. Matthew 24, three. Right. So he's talking about those who are alive at the end, at the end of the age, at the end of the tribulation period. And right when Jesus comes back. So specifically, he seems to be talking about them. So whether it's the end of the age, by the way, or if it's the end of our lives on this side of eternity, enduring to the end should not be seen as a works-based salvation mentality. Oh, if I do this, then I'll be saved. That's a works-based mentality. Rather, I see enduring as the end as evidence of who you really are. And if you really are a sheep, that belongs to God because he knows his sheep, then true believers will endure. So it's evidence of who you really are. Just like Jesus tell us that, you know, you know, a tree by the fruit it bears. A bad tree won't bear good fruit and vice versa. And so the fruit reveals the tree. And so that endurance reveals who's a true believer. But those who say they're Christian but are bearing non-Christian fruit, the scriptures tell us, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, they need to evaluate, examine whether or not they're really in the faith. And so don't see that whether it's the end of your life, if you want to apply it to you, or if it's a tribulation saying at the end of the age, again, it's not works-based, but we need to endure Mark 13 verses 14 through 20, it says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, that is the detestable one who desecrates the temple. And then remember, this was spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, where you see that standing where it ought not. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. Now, roofs in Israel during that time were flat and they were used as spare rooms and for storage. So that's why it's talking about the housetops there. And as we continue in verse 16, it says, and let him who was in the field not go back to get his clothes, but woe, which is an explanation of grief. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter, Matthew 24, 20 adds, or on the Sabbath. For in those days there will be tribulation. In other words, there will be trouble. Such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless... In verse 20, the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And I believe the elect at this point are Jews. Now, this same warning for the Jews to flee and the same woe to those who are pregnant and nursing babies is also given in Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. Except in Luke chapter 21, um, this is is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, which again happened in A.D. 70 when the Romans destroyed it, who were led by General Titus. But in the gospel, according to Mark, when he's talking about fleeing and talking about the the pregnant uh, uh, people or women and the um, nursing moms, the moms who are nursing babies, Here, Mark is referring to a time that is yet future. And so, again, Luke is talking about something that's history for us when he talks about that, if you ever get a chance to read Luke 21. And again, Mark is talking about something that is yet future for us. But now we talk about this abomination of desolation that we see here. Now this is referring to the Antichrist setting up an image of himself in the Jewish temple that's going to be built. And he's going to demand to be worshipped. And so if people want to know if we're in a tribulation period, no, we are not. Because in order for the abomination of desolation to take place, there has to be a Jewish temple that has to be rebuilt. Now, plans are in the works for it. If you go to the Jewish um, Institute or Temple Institute. If you go to their website, you can see they're making plans for it. But the temple has not been rebuilt. I believe the Antichrist, once he signs a covenant with uh, many uh, of, of, of Israel, he's going to give them permission to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount. Right now, what's on the Temple Mount is a mosque. But again, we're not in the tribulation period. We see signs heading that way though. And they're ramping up just like those birth pangs of a pregnant woman. Abomination of desolation. Antichrist setting up an image of himself in the temple. Second Thessalonians 2, 4 says that he will sit as God in the temple of God. And at the same time, he will cause all of the sacrifices to cease. He'll stop their worship. And this, by the way, won't happen until the midpoint of the tribulation period. Tribulation period is seven years. It's the last week of Daniel's prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, he talked, to, he talked about 70 weeks. And each week represents a period of seven years. 69 sevens, or 483 years have already been completed. That's that, that last seven-year period is yet future. Again, that. that's the tribulation period. And so what starts, once again, that tribulation period is the Antichrist making a covenant with many from the nation of Israel. That starts the clock of that final seven-year period of Daniel's prophecy. But in the middle of that week, this takes place. Abomination of desolation. And so if you read, if you read uh, Revelation 12, you see that this is about the point where Satan is kicked out of heaven for good. Right now, he's, that's not his dwelling place, but he still has some type of access to accuse the brethren. He's called the accuser of the brethren. But now he's kicked out for good. He's stuck on the earth now, and now he really goes after the nation of Israel. And so this, this tribulation period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. It's another name for it. That's why when you, when you read these things that Jesus is talking about, a lot of it is Jewish in character. He uses the words like Sabbath and, and and Judea coming down from the rooftops. And so God is going to focus his attention once again on the nation of Israel. This Antichrist, this world leader, is going to actually be possessed by Satan. You're going to see this unholy trinity. Of Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet who points people to the Antichrist to worship him. And this world leader or Satan through this world leader, this Antichrist is going to try to wipe out the Jews, but Israel will flee. Jesus tells them to. They're going to flee. And many believe that it's to the rock city of Petra. And if you look, you can look at Isaiah 16, 4 and Revelation 12, 14. Well, some people believe that. But God is going to protect them for that final three and a half years. And they're going to be protected there. They're going to be nourished by God during that second half of the tribulation period. And then Jesus is going to come back. But not only will he try to kill the Jews, speaking of this anti this antichrist, who's inspired by and possessed by Satan himself. But he also attempt to kill those and will kill many people who won't worship his image. They won't worship the beast. Other people in, other, in different parts of the world. And during that time, of course, no one will be able to buy or sell if they don't have the mark of the beast or the number of his name. Number of his name, in other words, in, in Hebrew, the um, you know, whatever his name is. If you add up the numbers that each letter represents, it'll come up to 666 or something like that. And so if you don't have that on your forehead, or on your right hand, this is deliberate, by the way. So you can't be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. This is deliberate. Folks will actually worship him. They're going to be deceived. So yes, this is going to be some persecution ramped up during that second half of the tribulation period, ramped up. But also many other people who stand for Christ will be killed. And in Mark 13, verses 21 through 23, it says that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, he is there. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So we even see this happening now. And it's going to happen, of course, even during that tribulation period. He says, but take heed or be on guard. See, I have told you all things beforehand. In Matthew 24, verses 26 and 27, it says, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the son of man be. So there won't be a secret second coming of Christ. As some cults and, and religions would say, oh, he, he met us in the inner room. No, this, look at what Jesus says, study the word of God. No, it's going to be evident as the lightning comes from the east and flash to the west. So also will his coming be, it's going to be evident. All will see him. And all of those false Christs, by the way, they'll deceive many. Their signs and wonders are going to be very convincing, but they won't fool the elect. But in those days after that tribulation, notice, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Luke 21, verses 25 and 26, if you want to jot that down, it says, and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity they'll be confused the sea and the waves roaring men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory and jesus also said in matthew 24 that all tribes of the earth will mourn so this won't be a secret coming speaking of that second coming Luke 21, 28, if you want to write that down, it says, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now Back in our main text, Mark 13, 27, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the farthest part of the earth to the farthest part of heaven. So there's many scriptures that talk about um, the, the Lord regathering the Jews. And so I believe here the elect is talking about the Jews. And So yes, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to come back with us, the church that he raptured with great power and glory. He's going to defeat the Antichrist. He's going to defeat the false prophet. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 19. And the rest of those kings and armies that are gathered together at Armageddon, which is, Not really a battle, it's more of a campaign. They're going to be killed with the sword, it says, that proceeds from Jesus' mouth. And at this time, the Jews will actually be ready to receive him. Oh, they rejected him in the first coming, but the second coming, they're going to be ready to receive him. In fact, in Matthew 23, 39, this is what Jesus says. He says, for I say to you, you shall see me no more. Until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, yes, the, the Jews will be ready to receive him at that time, and they will. And he'll gather the elect, send his angels out to gather them. And then he's going to have what we will call that judgment of nations, right? We have the sheep and the goats and the sheep representing the believers will be able to go into the millennial kingdom. And the goats, so to speak, the unbelievers will not. Be cast into the lake of fire or they'll go to hell. That will be their final judgment, of course, the lake of fire. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, what things? Perhaps the things both applying to 70 A.D. and maybe the things leading to and through the tribulation period. But anyway, when you see these things happening, know that it, that is, the end of the age and Jesus' return, know that it's near at the doors. Luke twenty one, thirty one, if you want to write that down. Jesus says this so you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. And so now this parable from the fig tree could be a reference to the nation of Israel. Or this parable could simply mean that just as a person would know that summer is near by the tender branch and leaves of the fig tree, one would know that Jesus is second coming and the end of the age is near. But he says, "Assuredly," in verse 30, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things t- take place. So the generation of people who are living when they see these signs and events. You know, they they. They won't pass, scriptures tell us, until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass, but my words will by no means pass away. See, the word of God is eternal. And because his word is eternal, there's some applications here for us. That means it's dependable. Because it comes from an eternal, dependable God, a faithful God, a trustworthy God. And because the word of God is eternal, it won't pass away. That means we need to believe it. It's believable. And because this word is eternal, another implication is that we should live our lives based on the word. But of that day, as we continue in verse 32, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the father. No one knows the day and hour that Jesus is going to come back in that second coming. He says, take heed. Or be on guard. Watch and pray for you do not know when the time is. Matthew 24 verses 43 and 44 says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then in verse 34, picking up there in Mark 13, it says it is like a man going to a far country who left this house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, which will be in the morning while it's still dark, or in the morning, maybe around the time the sun rises, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, Watch. So here it's clear that we shouldn't be setting dates about when Jesus is coming back. Again, we're talking about the second coming when he actually comes back with the church and touches down, then sets up his kingdom. And so if we don't know that at this point, then we really don't know the rapture either. So no one knows the specific day and time. Jesus said at this point he didn't know. Neither the angels, but only God, the father. This doesn't mean that Jesus stopped being God. It means that in his humanity, he didn't know, but in his deity, he knew. But remember, he humbled himself. He took upon humanity, didn't stop being God. He added humanity. And in doing that, he voluntarily. Limited the 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 prerogatives of his godhood so to speak of those privileges that he had as god he voluntarily limited themselves and surrendered to the will of the father in the use of those attributes so to speak so in this deity yes he's omniscient but in his humanity only the father knew at this time but if you look at verse 37 before we leave, we want to remember what Jesus said. It has an exclamation point, by the way. It says, watch. It's the worship team takes the stage. Watch. So are we watching for Jesus? Are we watching for Jesus? Or are we watching for the next Best politician. Are we looking out for the the next human savior in our eyes? Are we looking out more for who the Antichrist is? But no, we're supposed to watch. We're supposed to watch for Jesus. So are we watching for him? And that word watch, by the way, means to give strict attention to to be cautious, active, or be alert. So are we seeing some signs of the times? Yes, we are. Are they becoming more intense and more frequent? Yes, they are. And so if we're seeing signs of Jesus' second coming, if we're seeing signs right now of the end of the age, you know what that means for us as believers? That means that the rapture is even nearer. That's what it means. It's even near, more near than the second coming. When he actually comes back, what doesn't sets up his kingdom. You want to know what else about the rapture? There is nothing prophecy-wise that needs to take place for the rapture to happen. But there are some things that need to take place and fall into line before the tribulation period happens and before the end of the age and before the second coming of Christ. There are some signs of those things, but no signs of the rapture that should precede the rapture, in other words. So it could happen at any moment. So are we watching for Jesus? Are we watching for our Savior? Because if we're watching for Jesus, I wonder tonight how would that impact us? How would that impact us if we're really watching for Jesus? Well, first of all, we would have hope. We won't walk around with our heads down. We won't walk around like people who don't have hope. We won't walk around like people who are discouraged and people who don't serve a true and a living God. We won't walk around with people who don't serve a loving and a powerful Savior. We won't walk around like people who don't serve an almighty God. We won't walk around... Like like people who don't serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we'll walk around with people who have hope. We'll walk around and live like people who have a light touch on the things of this world. Won't we'll be worshiping these idols in this world that are temporary. Oh, it's cool that God blesses us with some things, but we're not to worship them. But we will have a light touch on the things of this world. If we were really watching for him, we'll have a Christ-like attitude. We will be more loving. I wonder how humble we would be if we knew that Jesus was coming back at any moment, which he is for his church. That's the rapture. We're caught up to meet him in the air. I believe that'll happen before the tribulation period because the scriptures tell us that he has not appointed us to wrath and the tribulation period is a time where God is is really pouring his wrath upon an unbelieving Christ rejecting world and also will he be turned he'll be turning his attention back to the Jews fulfilling his promises to them but Jesus already took our wrath And so I believe the rapture will take place first. We'll be caught up in the air first and first and then come back with him after the rapture. But if we had that attitude, if we were really watching for him. How humble we would be, how much more merciful we would be, we would be more forgiven if we knew that. His return was right around the corner. So are we watching? We would have more Christ-like thoughts and our actions will be more Christ-like. In other words, our, our living will be more pure. Oh, we would be sharing the gospel a little more if we were really watching for Christ's return for his church. Speaking of the rapture. We'll be serving, of course, more faithfully, because remember in verse 34, when he gave that parable of somebody going to a far country and they left his house and they gave authority to the servants. And it also says in verse 34 that that he gave to each his work. And guess what? He gave each of us a work to do. Oh, we will be serving more faithfully. If we were really watching for him. We were really watching for him. The trials that we go through wouldn't be as significant as we make it. Well, I don't doubt that some of you are here tonight or some of you are watching tonight and you're going through some things and you've been praying about it and you're still going through it and you don't see any end in sight and it seems like it's taking forever. But those things that we go through, whether it's illnesses or financial issues, all these things are temporary. The persecutions, the name-calling against Christians, the the butting of heads within families and between people you call your friends, all of those things are temporary. And so I wonder that if we were really watching for Jesus, how significant would those things be to us? Because we'll realize that when he comes back for us, Oh, we're going to get some glorified bodies. We won't have a sin nature anymore. So if you're struggling with sin tonight and maybe that's that's a problem that you're going through right now. Some sin that you've been praying about and you thought you were over it, but you fell back into it. But guess what? When Jesus comes back and he raptures up the church and we get glorified bodies, there will not be a sin nature anymore. We'll be built for eternity. No more crying, no more dying, no more sickness. And those of you who don't like to wake up early in the morning for work or whatever it is, oh, your bodies won't feel super tired and you won't care about the snooze button. That won't even exist. If we were only watching for Jesus, those trials we go through wouldn't seem as significant. Father, we thank you we thank you, Lord, first of all, that we made it through the entire chapter. <laughs> we thank you, Lord, for the patience of your people here tonight. It's late, and they're here, and they love you, Lord, and you love them even more, and we thank you for that. We pray, Father, that you would just remind us every time we lose sight Of eternity. Every time we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back, Lord, we pray that you would get us back on track so that we'll keep the main thing the main thing and not allow these temporary things and trials or whatever it may be to have a grip on us, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, that you would stir each and every one of our hearts knowing that Jesus is coming back for us one day. Stir our hearts, Lord, that, that we would be willing to share the gospel with others, that we will be more on fire for you, Lord. Set us on fire, Lord. Stir us up, Lord. I pray against apathy, Father, That maybe some of us are experiencing. But I pray against anger that some people have because of what's going on, and they're losing sight of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Remind them, remind all of us to watch, to be alert, to not fall for the tricks of the enemy. Because the enemy would have us, Lord, to focus on other things that are not eternal. Things we won't even think about in eternity. When we're spending eternity with you, the enemy will have us to get off track. And maybe there's somebody who's off track right now, Lord. I pray that you draw them back. And even more importantly, Lord, maybe there's somebody who is not a believer tonight. I pray that you would convict them of sin, remove the spiritual blinders and draw them to Jesus. Whether they're in this building, whether they're viewing online, whether they're listening to a CD or some audio version at this point, Father, draw them to Jesus. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your patience with all those verses. Feel free to correct whatever I messed up. (laughs) Praise the Lord. So you all be safe as you head back home. I pray for traveling grace for you, and may God use you in a mighty way this week. We love you. God bless you.